Good morning. It's good to be here. You guys could turn back to Philemon. And if you embarrassingly, embarrassingly couldn't find it before, because it's so small, it's in between Titus and Hebrews, this short little Pauline epistle just sandwiched neatly there. Um, so I'll give you a minute to turn there. Why did I pick Philemon? Well, now I get to say I preached through a whole book at KVC. And I do it way faster than Steve does, so it's great. No, I've actually really always been intrigued by this book. Why this short little seemingly personal letter is here in what we have is the Word of God and, and what it has for us today. I actually did a short little survey this week where I, I texted a bunch of people and I said, what is the book of Philemon about? And I just, I just wanted them to maybe just give me a one sentence. And I had a, a bunch of different answers. The most common one was forgiveness, and we'll definitely see that here. And some people said membership. Some people said slavery. Um, one person said, I, I honestly have no idea. I couldn't answer without guessing. One person said, is that a type of meat? And I'm just kidding. No, no one said that. We're, we're going we're gonna to look through this book and see what truths God has for us as the body of Christ today through this letter that's written to Philemon. So let's, let's bow our heads and pray together. Jesus, you are king, and here today we exalt you as king, and that's what today is about. That's what every day is about, is making much of the name of Jesus. So I pray, Lord, through the studying of your word, that you would encourage hearts, that you would challenge hearts, and that we would walk away knowing that as children of God, we, we are loved by you, and we have every ability to live out your, your desire for us, your will for us, which is just love and, and forgiveness and and Lord, acting as the body that's been redeemed by you. So please just let these words be clear, let our hearts be focused, and that we would uh, be able to just apply these truths today. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you guys know what a hall monitor is? Hall monitor, okay. Most of you know what a hall monitor, hall monitor is. A hall monitor is this, I picture it as a lady, because it's almost always a lady, this lady who sits at the front door or walks the halls of a school just, and I always picture her as like a pretty mean lady, too, because most of them that I've known are pretty mean. But they just love to give out consequences for people who come to school late or are wandering the hall during class. Well, I wasn't exactly best friends with my hall monitor senior year. I, when I started driving myself to school, I you know, was showing up one, two, three, four, five, ten minutes late sometimes. And so she would be there first thing to greet me with her little look as I walked in the door and gave me this slip that I had to take down to the office and if you get so many slips, you have to serve a detention. But anyway, there was that one time that I had an appointment in the morning, a doctor's appointment. And so I knew as I walked into that door of the school late, I had a smirk on my face. And before I even let her say anything, I just held up that little, I went to the doctor slip. And that, that excused me of any consequences that would have been given. Well, what does that have to do with Philemon? Well, here in Philemon, what you have is a, a runaway slave returning to his master. And as he's returning, he's bringing this letter that we have here to give to Philemon before he even says anything, hoping that whatever is in that letter is going to excuse him from whatever consequence might have been given. Now, Philemon was written by the Apostle Paul, and it was, like I said, delivered by Onesimus, who was the subject of the letter to Philemon. And like I said, he was a runaway slave from Philemon who most likely stole money as he left, and after he escaped, he found his way to Rome, as most runaway slaves did. They could just blend in. But during his time in Rome, while experiencing freedom, he ran into a man who was preaching the gospel of freedom. Freedom from guilt, freedom from sin, freedom from the wrath of God, all based on the work of Jesus Christ. And this man was Paul, and at some point after hearing the gospel, Onesimus believed and was saved. He was now experiencing true freedom in Christ. 
And we don't know exactly how it happened, but at some point after trusting Christ, Onesimus confessed to Paul that he was in fact a runaway slave from Philemon. Crazy enough, Paul knew Philemon. And we'll also learn later on that Paul actually led Philemon to Christ years before this. So now with this knowledge of here you have the master Philemon, this runaway slave who's now come to Christ, Paul couldn't let this gospel opportunity pass up Onesimus and Philemon. And so Paul encouraged and sent Onesimus back to Philemon carrying this letter. And this letter could have been the only thing that kept him alive. Punishment for being a runaway slave, for being a fugitive, was as severe as death. Some places during this time even branded fugitives with with a mark on their forehead so that everyone for the rest of their lives would know that they were a criminal. Can you imagine Onesimus as he's walking this long journey back to Philemon's house? walks up to the door and holds out this letter, almost like his note of excuse before any consequences were given. And we'll see that it was so much more than just a note of excuse, but an out-of-this-world appeal for Philemon to accept his loss and receive Onesimus back, no longer as a slave, but as a brother, because of what Christ has done for him. What a scary task for Onesimus, only one that could be done with faith that Philemon would act like Christ in this situation and forgive him. We live in a society today that knows very little about forgiveness. We live in a society that cares very little about forgiveness. In fact, I would say that one of the major contributors, if not the major contributor, of destruction of relationships in our culture is the absence of forgiveness. Our culture pushes us to be unforgiving. It celebrates, actually, people and exalts people who are not willing to forgive. There's even a book out there titled Toxic Toxic Parents, where a chapter is titled, You Don't Have to Forgive. Well, Philemon is going to teach us why forgiveness is not an option for followers of Christ. And something we need to remember while reading this book is that slavery was culturally acceptable during this time. And Paul's not going to make his argument about Onesimus based on the ethics of slavery. He's going to make his argument based on the ethics of the gospel. And what we're going to see through studying this letter is that a gospel-transformed heart produces a radical Christ-like response, a response that flies in the face of any known reality to this world or to their world. So let's dive in together here. We're going to look at this first part, which is a unique greeting from Paul. He says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. For me, these are the easiest verses to skip, to breeze over when reading one of Paul's letters. We see these greetings so often that we begin to view them as like the equivalent of a greeting in one of our emails, right? Hey, Joe, this is Ron. I hope you're doing well and had a great Christmas. Say hello to Mary for me. Uh, I wanted to ask you if, you know, and -and so-and-so, right? This was not a greeting like in one of our emails. Paul had a much deeper intent for his greetings than we do. The first thing in his greeting that is actually really unique that sticks out to me is that Paul identifies himself as a prisoner, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, Almost every other epistle up until this point, what do we see Paul identify himself as? An apostle, right? Paul begins his letters with his apostolic authority, one that would command not only the respect and attention of his audience, but their obedience as well. However, in this letter in Philemon, Paul leaves that title aside and decides only to be a prisoner. And we know that during this time, Paul was in fact a prisoner under Roman guard on house arrest, but he drew attention to this title for another reason, and it was for Philemon's sake. He says, Paul, a prisoner for, or of would actually be a better way of saying it, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He wanted Philemon to see that he himself was not only enslaved to the Roman guard, the way Onesimus was enslaved to Philemon, 
but he was a captive of Christ Jesus. He was a prisoner of Christ. Now, how could Philemon consider himself as anything other than what Paul, this apostle, considers himself as? And this is the position that Paul is going to make his appeal from, a prisoner of Christ, not an apostle. And then we also see that Timothy's with him, and Timothy is called our brother. And we're going to see this theme of prisoner and brother repeated throughout this letter. And that's not an accident by Paul either. He wants the theme of his letter to carry this way of, we are a family of workers that are captive to Christ. It's an appeal from an equal ground with an understanding that we are all one body of Christ as slaves of Christ. And another thing that's unique about this letter is that it's addressed to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, Aphia, our sister, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in Philemon's home. Why is it addressed to all those people? If it's a very personal appeal to Philemon for Onesimus, why is it addressed to the whole church in his house and this woman who possibly could have been his, his wife, the archippus could have been his son, we don't know that for sure, but why would this appeal be made to the whole church? It's because what Paul is about to request of Philemon, he does not want to hide from the body of Christ. Even though Onesimus was Philemon's runaway slave and the manner mainly concerned him, it is something that the whole body would have been responsible and accountable for responding in the manner that Paul encourages. That all together as a body, they had to forgive Onesimus and receive him back. And the church met in Philemon's home, so if Philemon did not respond in a loving way, the church would be able to encourage him to do so and hold him accountable. What a wonderful community to be a part of, right? This is what Christ intends for the church. Letters are not just to individuals, but they're to communities. And they demand a community response, and in this case, it's forgiveness. He didn't want to hide this issue from the whole church. Next, in verse 3, we're going to see a common greeting in Paul's letters. It says, grace and peace from the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, from God the Father. And even though they're common, there's something very special about these greetings. I believe that Paul, in writing these letters as an apostle who received direct revelation from Jesus and was inspired by the Holy Spirit, was giving grace and peace from Jesus himself through the written word of God to all who read it. They would experience grace, getting something they don't deserve, through the written encouragement and instruction of Paul. They would experience peace with God and peace with others through believing and living out what was written in the letters. So this is how grace and peace from the Father and the Son are coming to Philemon and the church in his house, by reading this Holy Spirit-inspired letter, which contained words of truth and life. And what is so great is that we get to experience that same grace and peace now, every time we get to drink from the living, life-giving Word of God. It's more than a greeting here. It's a blessing. It's a blessing to all who would read it. Grace and peace from Jesus himself, because these are his words. So let's move on past the green. Let's move to verses 4 through 7. And what we're going to see here is just a really loving encouragement from Paul. He says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Paul begins his message to Philemon, not with the matter at hand, but with a paragraph of pure praise and encouragement. He tells Philemon that every time that he's praying and remembers him, he thanks God for him. Wouldn't that be like the best thing to hear from your spouse, parents, or kids, or friends every day? Ben, every time I'm praying and I think about you, I just praise God for you. Would that not make you feel like a million bucks? 
You'd want to be around those people all the time. That's, that's how Paul starts. He's being an example to us here. How often do we praise God for others by name and then tell them about it? But his thankfulness is not for an unknown reason, but specifically because he hears about Philemon's love and faith that he has toward Jesus and toward other believers. This means that Philemon was so loving that the news somehow spread all the way to Paul in Rome. It's pretty amazing. Maybe it was Onesimus. Maybe Onesimus, now becoming a believer and seeing Philemon in a new perspective, shared some of these good things with Paul. Either way, someone had to do some godly gossip about Philemon, and Paul was praising him for it. His true faith in Christ resulted in love towards the body, and people heard about it. That news spread. And on a side note, we can't help but think that Onesimus might have also had some pretty negative things to share about Philemon. Maybe he ran away because Philemon was not the best master. However, Paul only focuses on the good that he has heard about Philemon, which is another example to us, to focus on the good of others and praise them for it. Well, while thanking God for Philemon, he also prays for him in verse 6. And I want to propose a better way of saying I'm going to put a different translation up on the screen. A better way of saying this prayer in verse 6 would be, I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. In essence, Paul's heart for Philemon is that he would be effective in living out obedience of his faith by knowing and experiencing everything Jesus has blessed him with as a child of God, and all of it for Christ's glory. What a beautiful prayer. So by understanding, by Philemon understanding that he's completely justified, forgiven, and at peace with God, he could effectively share the reality of that faith with others around him. A reality that would allow him to forgive others that have wronged him. And in this case, it's Philemon. And in the language of the prayer, there's also this sense that until he experiences having to extend his faith to, other, his faith to others, he won't really fully understand what Jesus has given him. Let me illustrate this. A lot of us would love to have more patience, and so we pray for patience, right? However, we often don't see that prayer directly answered just by miraculously having more patience. How do we get more patience? It's by experiencing trials, experiencing something that causes us to have to be patient. Well, when we experience things like this, the reality of Christ's love for us is that much more amazing. When we say, I just had to be patient through this trial. How patient is Christ with me through all my failure, through all my sin? And you fully understand his love for you, and it becomes that much more amazing. So we understand all that Christ has given us through experience those, experiencing those things on a smaller scale ourselves. And then remember the end of the prayer. It says, for Christ's sake or for Christ's glory. It's all for his glory. As you understand these things and as you share the reality of participating in the faith effectively, it's going to glorify Christ. And then Paul concludes his heartwarming encouragement in verse 7 by telling Philemon of the personal joy and comfort that he has received through Philemon's love for the saints. Philemon had provided such a deep refreshment to the hearts of the saints that it personally affected Paul because we know that Paul cares so much for the body of Christ, especially those churches that he planted. And just like Jeff shared last week, we see that using your gifts to love and serve the body of Christ will result in a deep heart refreshment of others. So let's joyfully use our gifts like Philemon was because it's obviously going to affect everyone around you. Speaking of that, Jen, I want to thank you guys for providing such refreshment and encouragement to us during this short time that we're back here before we move to Canada. It's been a blessing to be a part of the body and be refreshed by you guys. 
Well, it's very important to know that this encouragement from, from Paul is what will set the stage for his loving appeal and the response that is anticipated from Philemon in verses 8 through 20. This, this encouragement is everything that's going to set the stage for this. And in this section, we're going to see that Paul does not make his appeal based on, on his apostolic authority or on the ethics of slavery, but on the ethics of the gospel. And the encouragement that he gives, just gives Philemon, it shows that Philemon is happily under the ethics of the gospel. And it's going to cause him to see the situation in a way that will allow for an above and beyond response. So let's look at this together. It says, in verse 8 and 9, it says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. So we see that the appeal begins with the ethics of the gospel. Since Paul knows that Philemon is indeed a born-again follower of Christ who has a new heart and a new mind and has shown his faith and his love already, he decides to appeal to him on the basis of that love that he knows Philemon has, rather than on his authority as an apostle. Paul appeals to him as just a brother, and just a prisoner. He wants Philemon to respond out of the new creation that he is, the one that he just bragged about in the encouragement. He's saying, I'm going to appeal to you on the basis of that love, on the basis of who you are. Could you imagine having a conflict with your spouse, or maybe between kids, and you go to Pastor Steve to get some counseling, and you guys sit down at his, at his desk, and he says, guys, look, before you explain what's going on, I'm your pastor, therefore I'm your authority. In order to be a part of this church and be a healthy contribution to this church, I just need you guys just say, I'm sorry, I forgive you, I'm sorry, I forgive you. Now, I don't know if you actually counsel like that. I don't think you do. I hope not. But that wouldn't really be very genuine and honest, right, if we were just commanded by Pastor C because he has our spiritual authority in a sense to do these things. No, he would, he would never do that because it wouldn't actually allow our, our changed hearts to truly respond in a manner that shows that they've been changed by Christ. It would not be a gospel response. And that's what Paul wants for Philemon. He wants his response to be genuine and honest to show his changed heart because any other response would not be a gospel response. And then look at verse 10 through 12, and Paul's going to make his appeal for his spiritual child and now a useful missionary. It says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Paul calls Onesimus his child whose father he became while in prison. Now, this isn't a case of prison-based adoption happening here. Paul's not starting a new organization. Paul is showing that he became Onesimus' spiritual father by leading him to Christ while in prison. Paul is taking a personal family ownership over him. We don't really use that language today, do we? Spiritual father, spiritual child. Pastor Steve preached a few months ago on the family of Christ being born in Acts chapter 2. And this new concept of the family of Christ caused these believers to commit to each other and love each other like they were actually born into the same biological family as brothers and sisters. This would mean that if one of them were to share the gospel with someone outside of the family and that person believed, the person who shared actually fathered or mothered that person into the family. So letting that person, that new believer, be neglected would be, would be like neglecting one of their own children. I think about when Owen was born that, that day in the hospital. I didn't just say, I'm going to take care of him today. I'm going to change all those nasty diapers. I'm going to burp him. I'm going to help him fall asleep, all these things. And then after that, I'm done. I've fathered Owen. I'm a successful father. 
no, that would never happen. I, I, I will not do that with this child either, Jen. <clears throat> so just like that, sharing the gospel is not a pill that we give someone and they, we hope they get better. It's a lifelong laboring to see that their walk with Christ and with others matures as long as it is possible for you to do so. It is a commitment and personal ownership over that person. That is what it means to share the gospel and father someone into the faith. At every tribe, we had a saying, don't birth something that you can't father. What that means is that if you don't have the ability to see through a person being plugged into the church to, de- to be discipled, whether by you or by others, don't try and lead them to Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that we never share the gospel and we don't plant scenes, seeds, but in the context of places that to every tribe goes, these unreached places like Cat Lake, where there is no church, sharing the gospel without discipleship would be a tragedy. So many groups, group after group, short-term mission groups, have come into places like this, and they've done a VBS, they've done counseling, they've handed out gifts. But what's happened is those people start to view Christianity as something that they just respond to for a week. But then after that, they just go back to their old lifestyles. That's not the heart of Christ. People need to know what it looks like each day to follow Christ in family, in work, in community relationships. Otherwise, their new state becomes worse than their former. Paul had this mentality, and so should we. Take gospel ownership of others. Now we'll look at verse 11. Paul actually uses a pun here. He says, formerly he was useless, but now he's useful. The name Onesimus actually means useful. So Paul is saying, before he did not live up to his name, but now in Christ he truly does. He went from a useless fugitive to a useful laborer for Jesus. Paul knew what, what that was like. He went from a criminal to an ambassador for Christ and saw that Onesimus went through that same transformation and can now be used for the body of Christ and for mission. And even though he's useful now, Paul says that he's sending him back to Philemon, sending his own heart. We might ask, why did Paul send him back? Well, there's two laws that Paul would have been familiar with regarding runaway slaves. One from Deuteronomy 23, 15, and 16 that said not to return a runaway slave to their master, but allow them to live among you and don't mistreat them. Another that he would have been familiar with was the Roman law, which required someone to return a runaway uh, slave to their master. And the the, the heart of the first law in Deuteronomy was to show mercy to the one who escaped from their master because they were apparently cruel And now you're going to let them live among you and not suffer that that cruelness anymore. But Paul or Onesimus, they were not accountable or obligated to keep this law because they weren't under the Jewish system anymore. But Paul also knew that Philemon couldn't respond like a cruel master, um, but would show mercy. However, the Roman law that he would have been presently under was the one that I believe that Paul was pleased to obey, knowing that Philemon's faith and love towards other believers would now extend to Onesimus. But either way, Paul doesn't make his appeal based on any law, but on the basis of love, requesting that Philemon respond to Onesimus as part of himself. View him as you would view me. You wouldn't reject me, would you? This is how you need to respond to Onesimus. And that leads into the next part of his appeal, which is about making it Philemon's honest choice. So we're going to read verses 13 and 14. It says, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord or free will. Paul is saying, see, if I wrote this letter to you after keeping Onesimus with me to serve me, which you would have, been ha- you would have had to be okay with that because it actually should be you here with me, but I wouldn't have given you 
the chance to let Jesus shine through your good deed-driven heart, your gospel-transformed free will. Let me pause there for a second. Let me talk about this this free will concept because that might raise some red flags. The Bible is clear that we actually do, in fact, have a free will. However, it's only a free will to sin because we are enslaved to sin. But now, through faith in Christ, we have a new free will, one that's been given to us by the Spirit of God to choose what is right because of the work of Christ. And that free will is what Paul is referring to here, that your own accord, one transformed by the gospel that God has given us to exalt his Son. As believers in Jesus, we now have a new mind and a new heart that can choose what is right through the Spirit's work in us. And that's what he's talking about. That's what he's appealing to with Philemon. And you also see that Paul is demonstrating himself this gospel freedom with gospel selflessness. He says, I'm giving him back to you rather than keeping him with me to have refreshment. Can you imagine Paul being in prison, the benefit that Onesimus would have been to him? But no, he's going to say, I'm going to give him up for you. And he gives this gospel freedom to Philemon. I'm not going to decide for you what to do, but I'm going to trust you to decide yourself. Paul places a faith in Philemon that must be so encouraging to him. Really the ultimate compliment. I know you will choose goodness, but I would never want to rob you of doing it out of your own accord. If I choose for you, it's no longer going to be your joy to walk in the good works that Christ has for you, but it would be out of obligation or compulsion, and that's not what I want. I'm not going to appeal to you as your authority. And this is an out-of-this-world request, but it is met with an out-of-this-world freedom to carry it out. And don't forget that a good choosing free will takes a Christ-centered prayer like the one that Paul prayed for Philemon. Choosing good requires the Spirit at work within us to be effective in sharing our faith. And now Paul is going to make his appeal that Onesimus becoming spiritual family changes everything and empowers him to respond in goodness just like he has already done with others. So we're going to read verses 15 and 16. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and the Lord. How many of you have heard the phrase, everything happens for a reason? How many of you are kind of numb to that phrase? (laughs) You hear it so often. Well, good news, this kind of comes from Paul here. Paul here is saying, Maybe this is why he departed from you for a while, so you might have him back forever. Paul had a high view of God's sovereignty here. He is seeing that, look, finally, something that was so seemingly bad at the time, a runaway slave, which means a lot of lost money for you, God is now using for good. He's kind of starting that trend of everything happens for a reason. But let's learn from Paul here, too, at the same time. He says it after the fact. He says it after we have seen God's plan revealed. He doesn't, you know, before Onesimus becomes a believer, goes up to Philemon and says, Philemon, don't sweat it, man. No big deal. God's got a plan. No, he says it after God has revealed what he wanted to do with all this. And he encouraged him, look, view God as sovereign. He knew that this was going to happen, and this is why he left from you, so that you might have him back forever. Have him back forever. So slaves were not always permanent. Onesimus had so many years to pay of service and then be done. But now Paul is saying, he might return permanently to you. And then here's where the whole paradigm shifts, where Philemon's world would have been rocked. He says, have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but as a beloved brother. That would make Philemon go, 
what? It's pretty hard to place ourselves in Philemon's shoes, so I want to illustrate the best I can. Imagine that you have a financial investor that you invest 30% of all of your savings, all of your continued income into. You give this money to this man and you say, please just make more money off of this. Well, this guy out of nowhere that you trusted takes off to the Cayman Islands to go blow all that money. You have nothing, no way of getting that money back. However, while he's down there blowing all that money, he also runs into a guy who loves vacationing in the Cayman Islands, Steve Lustin. And, and while he's down there, Steve sees this guy and he says, hey, i got to share the gospel with this guy. And so Steve shares the gospel and this financial investor believes in Christ and he's transformed. And so after he's transformed, he's sharing all of his past with Steve. And one thing that comes up is that he did some investing for people in Sycamore, Illinois. And Steve's like, no way. I know some people there who. And it's you. And he says, I robbed. I took all their money and I left. And so Steve says, you got to go back. you got to make this right. Because I know this person will respond this way. So Steve sends this financial investor back with this letter to you and comes up to you. And you see this financial investor and you're like, I'm going to call the police right now. But he gives you this letter you decide to read it first. And it's from Steve. And he, he says all these things that happen. And he says, look, I know he stole a lot of money from you. I know he owes you a lot. But don't, don't hold him accountable today anymore. But he's now a brother in Christ. And he's going to start going to our church. How would you respond? How would you respond to that? That is how Philemon is feeling right now. Paul says, don't hold him accountable as your slave, but welcome him as a loved brother, as part of your church. Before, slaves were not legally considered persons, but they were tools of their masters. But now he's saying he's a brother. How is it possible to respond this way? Well, through an understanding that if Onesimus is a brother in Christ, it means that both of their eternal debts have been paid by Jesus. I think about Jesus' parable in Matthew 18, where the one uh, guy who, who has so much debt, he's forgiven of all that debt. But then he goes out that same day and he tries to get a small amount that is owed to him by someone else. And the master sees him and says, you, you totally missed the point. And throws him into this place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that's what is being painted here for us. He's now a brother. Both of your eternal debts have been paid by Jesus. So Paul is saying, look, Philemon, Christian brotherhood it extends beyond cultural conventions and norms. And even today, Christian brotherhood extends beyond cultural conventions and norms. We could respond differently to those who are in Christ. And lastly, Paul finishes his loving appeal with being a loving example of Christ himself. Let's look at verses 17 through 20. He says, So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. So here's another loving appeal. Not as an authority, but as a partner. As a partner, receive him as you would receive me. Well, how would Philemon receive Paul? Well, if Paul was Philemon's spiritual father as well, he would be overjoyed to see him and welcome him with a loving embrace. So he's saying, this is how you should receive Onesimus. And now to add to the illustration from earlier, also in this note that Steve sends you about this financial investor, he says, everything that this investor owed you, I'll take it on myself. I'll pay for it. Trust me, I will. Charge it to my account. What would you do? 
Would you say, all right, Steve, I'm going to set up a payment plan for you, and this is how much is due each month, this is how much interest is, or how about, Steve, how could you just become my slave, because that's really what he owed me. No, we wouldn't do that. Why? Because of how much he loves us. We would no way want to say, we're going to, you owe us anything. No. That's what he's saying here. Radical love is possible when you have been radically loved. Paul is being the picture of Christ that Philemon needed to be reminded of in order to respond this way. What's beautiful is Christ said to the Father about all who are his, receive them like you would receive me. Anything they owe you, charge that to my account. I have paid it all. That's how Christ talks about us who are his. And how cool that, that's what Paul is saying about Onesimus. Receive him as you would receive me. Charge it to my account. Philemon couldn't possibly hold Paul to this debt because he owed himself to Paul, the man who threw his, he had heard the gospel and was forgiven his eternal debt. This is a picture of imputation, that big theological word that we hear of. All of what we owe God for our sin is now put on Christ. And everything that he is, all of his goodness, is put on us. At this point, Philemon's thinking, wow, Onesimus is indebted to me. Paul's taking that debt. I am indebted to Paul. We are all indebted to Christ. How could I not receive him as Christ receives me? And this is not just a bare minimum forgiveness, but a complete restoration and now seeking Onesimus' benefit. Not just a bare minimum forgiveness, but a complete restoration and now seeking his benefit. And then Paul brings it full circle with his encouragement from earlier and says, refresh my heart. He says, this is your direct way. You have refreshed the saints' hearts. I've heard about it. I've had comfort through it, but now refresh my heart. Refresh me and bless me. Please do it. I want to see an example of Christ in you. That's how you could refresh me. Receive Onesimus back. So why did Paul write this letter? What was his desired outcome? His desired outcome was a loving response. Let's look at verses 21 through 22. He says, Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. He says, Philemon, I know you're going to respond in love. That's why I'm writing to you in the first place. I actually know that you will go above and beyond any expectations I have. What does that mean? Well, maybe that means that Philemon receives Onesimus back, forgives him, no longer a slave but a brother, but maybe it even means that he allows him to return to Paul to serve Paul. And who knows, maybe even fund him to get there as a sent-out missionary. Paul believed the best of Philemon and was confident of Christ in him to allow him to obey. So why do we forgive? It's part of who Christ made us. It is part of who we are. We forgive because we have been forgiven. And this shows that the heart of Paul's appeal was not, you owe me one, Philemon, but your gospel-transformed free will will go above and beyond any obligatory obedience and will fulfill the heart of mercy and love toward others. Then he says, hey, at the same time that you're forgiving him, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to come to you and we're going to fellowship together. That's going to make it real for Philemon. He's going to be there soon. He's going to see how all this played out. They're going to get to fellowship together and praise God for what happened. And then he ends the letter with verses 23, 24, and 25. It says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. 
and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Paul ends the same way he began, on the theme of fellow prisoner and fellow workers. Look, Philemon, we're all one family of workers captive to Christ. And he says in verse 25, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Once again, that's not just like a goodbye. That's saying, may the same grace that Jesus has given you remain in you as you respond to this situation because you're going to need grace to do it. So how do we wrap this up? Let's, let's conclude this. How do we apply this? What should change about our lives? Well, before we think about specific application, I want you to think about this question. When you think about the book of Philemon, how do you think about yourself? Because all of us put ourselves in someone's shoes when we read this book. Do you put yourself in Philemon's shoes? You're the one that's been sinned against, and you're looking at this book and saying, okay, this is how I need to respond. That's good. Very good application. We'll get to that. Maybe you even think of yourself in a sense of onismus. Hey, maybe I'm the one who sinned against someone, and I need to go to them and ask for forgiveness. That's good, too. Maybe you think of yourself as Paul. Hey, I'm trying to mediate something going on between two people I know need to forgive each other. Those are all good. But before we see ourselves as any of those, we need to see ourselves as Onesimus in the sense of we are the betraying slave seeking undeserved grace from the master as we return to serve him. Look at this book as the picture of the gospel. And that's why I believe it's in the scriptures. We have the one who has sinned, the one who has betrayed, who has now come to faith, who has now had a huge heart transformation through this mediator sharing the gospel. And now this mediator is sending him back saying to the master, receive him as you would receive me. And look at Philemon is almost like this God figure. He's not God, believe me. But as this God figure is, receive him as you would receive me. Charge that to my account. That is the picture of the gospel that's here. We are Onesimus. We are returning to God who we have sinned against, who we owe an eternal debt to. But thanks be to Christ, just like Paul is here, we are forgiven. All of our debt was put on him. And now when we go to the master, he is going to receive us as he would receive Christ. Any other application is only possible with a gospel-transformed free will from returning to that master who gave abundant grace and mercy to us. Otherwise, application is meaningless. We need to first return to the master ourselves to receive grace and mercy. <clears throat> so let's, let's move on to some application after that. The first one's actually not on the screen. The first one I want to challenge us with is <clears throat> to see ourselves as Paul sees himself, a prisoner of Christ. It's not really a title that we would boast in. It's not really anything I've ever called myself. Hey, I'm, I'm Ron, I'm a prisoner of Christ. No. <clears throat> but let's challenge ourselves to view ourselves that way because as understanding that we are captive to Christ, the one who paid our debt, there's actually such a freedom in being his captive. A freedom to be bold with the gospel. A freedom to serve him when it's hard because we know we're his slaves. And being his slaves is a safe place to be. Being his slaves means that we're part of his family. We're part of his kingdom. He is not a cruel slave owner. He is a good one. Next is be the body. What do I mean by that? As the body of Christ, as a church, we are all held accountable to forgive those who sin and treat them as family. If someone from a wicked lifestyle repents and believes in Jesus, don't treat them like a sinner, but treat them like a saint. More than that, treat them like a fellow worker. 
If someone within the body isn't responding in forgiveness to someone else, encourage and appeal to them on the basis of love to do so. That's the example we get here. We need to be the body. We are all held responsible to forgiveness here. Next, encourage first, challenge second. Something beautiful about the New Testament is that all the commandments for us as believers comes, come after something that is true about us as children of God. It says, this is who you are in Christ, therefore respond this way. Well, let that be the basis of our challenges and rebukes towards others. Encourage first, praise them for who they are, praise them for all the good you see in them, and then maybe make an appeal about something that might not be Christ-like. And let the gossip about what a blessing each other are. Praise each other to each other. Build each other up. Encourage them. Next, let's pray the prayer in Philemon. Pray it for others. Pray it for yourself. I believe what this prayer is saying is that the key to an effective Christian life is fully knowing all the good that Christ has put in us as children. That's the key to effective Christian life, is knowing who we are in Christ. Once you pray it, tell them you're praying it for them. Tell them you're praising God for them. Don't be shy to tell someone, I'm praying this prayer for you, because I love you. Next, believe that those in the body of Christ have a new heart. This is the one we struggle with quite a bit. Believe that those in the body of Christ have a new heart. That means don't tell others what to do, but appeal to them in love and trust that they will respond out of a transformed heart. Look at the way Paul treats Philemon. He trusts that he has a transformed heart and knows that he's going to do more than just obey the bare minimum. In this way, if we do this, they will receive the blessings and joy for their obedience and give glory to God. And this is why sermon application is not individualized. Someone doesn't stand up here and says, all right, now you do this, you do this, you do this, because our job is to see the truth in Scripture and then go out and apply it as individuals. Apply it together as a body. Next, take gospel ownership of others. What does that mean? Don't let people be part of this church without being cared for as part of our family. Make disciples and be discipled. Work through the mess with each other. Don't do it alone. Be the body. Take ownership of each other. Take ownership of those you share the gospel with outside of the body. See it through to the end. Also, view each other as useful. Paul viewed Onesimus this way. Understand that we are all part of the body and we all have different gifts and you cannot thrive without each other. Each of you who are in Christ are useful. And we could all be blessed by each other. Also, be Christ to each other and be Christ to the world. Just like Paul was, there is no greater way to lead than by leading by example. Radically love those around you by taking their burdens, forgiving them when they sin against you, and laying down your life for them. Not just a bare minimum of forgiveness, but a new fellowship, a new equality with them. Christ remembers our sins no more and makes us co-heirs. We need to treat each other like that is true. And lastly, let grace be your motivation. Grace needs to be our motivation. You have received freely, so give freely. People don't deserve forgiveness. We don't deserve forgiveness. I don't deserve forgiveness. But we have been forgiven because it's a free gift by Jesus Christ. So let that be our motivation, even when it doesn't seem like someone deserves it. And guys, I believe that if we apply these things, living these things out, it will bring deep refreshment to each other. 
it will refresh us as the body of Christ and will give us a passion and zeal to serve each other and serve the community that we're in for the sake of people knowing Christ for the sake of his glory. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this little book that you have for us and the picture of the gospel that we see in it. I thank you that we get a deeper picture of this theological term imputation, Lord, that truly in Christ, all of our sin was transferred to him. And not just that, all of his goodness, his righteousness was transferred to us, and you will now receive us as sons, as loved, as fellow workers. That is the greatest blessing in life, to know that we are one with you, that we are accepted by you. And so, Lord, as we treat others in the body and in this world, let that be the reality that we treat them with. It's just complete grace and forgiveness. And that you would continue to transform the world through your body acting this way. In Christ's name, amen.